Tonight we finish up our series in the first three chapters of the book of Revelations. And um, yeah, before we do, I just want to say thanks to um, our team last week for, for holding the fort. Um, I heard service was really great last week, actually. And then um, I guess another plug for the podcast. If you miss service, our sermons are all up on the podcast. I got to catch up on the podcast last week, listen to our brother James preach, some real truth in there. But I do want to um, correct him on one thing. And I haven't told him this. I was going to do it. Um, there's a quote and he says, do you know Steve is really smart? <laughs> And he says, he says this, and he goes, he's not only book smart, but he's also street smart. And I just want to correct that because um, I'm not. I'm just street smart enough to make me look book smart. So that's how I got him. You know, I just, that's how I got you. I, that's, I got you. I got you. So <laughs> anyway, thanks, James, last week. It was a, a timely word. Um, and so we, we, we're, we're concluding our series called Dear Church, where, where Jesus writes these letters to seven churches in the local area, recognizing their strengths, but also rebuking their weaknesses as well. And I, w- I just want to do a quick, quick recap of the six before we get into our last letter. And so the, the first one was to the church in Ephesus, where the message to the church in Ephesus was that, that we can be conscientious and doctrinally sound, but still displease Jesus if we lack heartfelt love. It was that passage, but you have forgotten your first love. Uh, the church in Smyrna, which was under total um, persecution, uh, were told that the presence of Jesus Christ, the control of God, and the promise of eternal life enable us to be faithful under pressure. Now, the church in Pergamum, to avoid the mistake of the church in Pergamum, uh, we not only need to take true to hold to true teaching, but we also need to counter false teaching. If you remember, there was false teaching coming into that church. And then Thyatira, the message to the church in Thyatira warns us that our lives on Monday morning should be consistent with what we profess on Sunday morning. You know, what's the use of believing something on a Sunday if that's not going to be what it's like on Monday? Uh, The church in Sardis, uh, unlike the church in Sardis, we uh, we must not rest on our confidence in reputation, but in the life giving work of God's Spirit. And then last week, the Church of Philadelphia, um, Christians can feel left out socially or are missing out materially, but in his message to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus promises much more in return. And I hope that that was a great encouragement to you. Um, Today, we are uh, looking at Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was famous for three things. Uh, Number one, uh, it was a banking center. It was one of the high uh, finance centers in that area. Um, And so, uh, do you know what area you need to have banks in? I was thinking about this. Um, you 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 only need banks in cities where they have money. And so the first thing that we know about Laodicea is not only is it a banking center, the reason why it's a banking center is because there's a lot of money in this city. Uh, Secondly, uh, and we start to find out why, it had an extensive textiles industry. Now, if you go to a picture, there's a picture of a sheep. Yep. So Laodicea, one of the things that they're famous for was black wool. 
Now, I'm not being racist here, but it was black wool that was only produced by a certain type of sheep, and that was only um, bred in that area, and they used to export it out. Um, and so it was, it, it was a booming business, booming business. And thirdly, it was the home of an eye ointment, um, which is, um, you know, some, some kind of eye solution, right? Now, you've got to think, right, this is 2,000 years ago, right? But it, it was so popular that this was actually being exported globally. So if you want to talk about, you know, cosmetics and you want to talk about global um, exports, like these guys were in the business 2,000 years ago. They were at the top of the pyramid. So what we understand about this city is it is a big trade, trade city. It's got a lot of money. But also what we find about this city is it's not just wealthy, but it's a very independent city. Now, history will show us that in in, uh, AD 60, um, the whole city was devastated by a massive earthquake. But the Roman Empire that looked after that city, that looked after the province, when the Roman Empire said to the people in Laodicea, hey, we'll give you some money to rebuild the city, actually the people in the city said, we don't need your money. We're going to build this ourselves. And they did. They did it with their own money. Um, One historian writes, Laodicea was too rich to accept help from others. All right? Hopefully you're starting to get a picture of the kind of city it is. Finally, the thing that uh, we we need to understand about the city was, it was uh, based in the valley. Okay, And there was no water source around. And so actually, they needed to pump water from um, places outside. (coughs) Excuse me. And so what they did was there were two places they got water from. One was a place called Hierapolis, where um, they had hot springs in that place, natural volcanic hot springs. And they would pump that hot water into Laodicea. And then also um, from Colossae, which is uh, high on top of a mountain, they would then bring down cold water, right? They used to have these big pipes, these aqueducts bringing in water. But the problem was, you know, we're not talking like a pipe of 100 meters. We're talking about four, they say four miles, which is about six kilometers, right? Now, it doesn't matter how hot the water is six kilometers away. By the time it gets to your place, it's not going to be hot. It's going to be what? Lukewarm. It's going to be room temperature, right? And same with up on the mountain, right? You want this cold, refreshing water from the mountain, but by the time it gets into the city, it's just room temperature. And and this is going to become important because Jesus is going to use this to explain what his thoughts are to the city in Laodicea. Now, we're in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to go through the four things again. Right? Every letter, we've gone through the same system. And thank you, Jesus, for giving us something that we can follow. Right? So the first one was his, his, explanation, his, his uh, explanation of his own identity. Secondly, his commendation, his praise of that city. Thirdly, his condemnation. And then finally, his promise. So let's go through those. Verse 14, uh, chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen. And everyone said, Amen. 
the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is the amen. Now, if you haven't been coming to church for a while, you might be asking yourself, what does the word amen mean? When we pray, we usually finish off with the term amen, right? So how can Jesus say he is the amen? The word amen, if you were to translate it, the, the best translation is this, is this phrase, it is so. It is so. So if you're outside and today, beautiful sunny day, and someone says, oh man, the, beautiful, the weather is so beautiful, you can actually go, amen. It is so. I agree with that. See, that's what we do when we pray, right? Someone prays or you pray, okay? And what you are saying at the end of that prayer is like, yes, it is so. Yes, I believe that to be true. So when Jesus says to himself, when, when Jesus says, these are the words of the amen, what Jesus, <coughs> what Jesus is saying is that he is that truth. That other people that say amen and say, that is right, that is so, Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the truth. And he also says that he's the faithful and true witness. A witness is someone who was there and saw what had happened, but he was faithful because not only was he there from the beginning, but he's there at the end. And then finally, Jesus describes himself as the ruler of God's creation, as a part of the triune God that created the universe, reminding us that Jesus was not creation. God did not create Jesus. That Jesus part of God, the triune God, the Trinity. He was there from the beginning. That's who's writing this letter. So we move to the second part, the commendation part. The church in Laodicea, this is what you've done well. And do you know what he says? He, does, he says nothing about their finances. He says nothing about their textiles. And he says nothing about their medicine. He actually says nothing at all. One of the two churches that receives no praise. Right? We're going to go to the third part because... Because the condemnation is what Jesus has a lot to say. Verse 15. This is what Jesus has a problem with the church in Laodicea. Verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, which means I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve, which is ointment, to put on your eyes so you can see. See how Jesus is using, he's using those examples of the water, of the, 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 the finances, and of the ointment. And what Jesus says is, I know you, I know your deeds. And what's interesting is, the way he describes it is, you're not hot, but you're not cold. Now, remember that idea of the water, right? Now, anybody who's a coffee lover, which is not myself, but anyone who's a coffee lover will know that coffee should be served at one temperature and one temperature alone, hot, right? 
Some of you are like, what? Oh, what about iced coffees? Yeah, and then I thought, yeah, okay, iced coffees. Okay. <laughs> Stay with me. There's two temperatures that you should serve coffee at. <laughs> it's either got to be hot coffee or what? Cold coffee. Oh, genius. There's one temperature that everyone does not like, and that is room temperature coffee. Okay? Genius. Now, I don't drink coffee, so I don't actually know what that analogy sounds like. But let me talk to my brothers, to my own people. Coca-Cola. Everybody knows that there is only one temperature that you should drink Coca-Cola, and that is cold. Icy, cold, ice, cold, Coca-Cola, preferably out of a gold, bo gold bottle, a glass bottle. A gold bottle is nice too, but, you know. Room temperature Coke is disgusting. Amen. The believers are here tonight. My goodness me. Now, there is only one time where you drink warm Coke, and that's when, if you are about to die of thirst, <laughs> and there's only water left, <laughs> you just... There's this thing about room temperature. There's this thing about being lukewarm that Jesus is calling out. What he's saying is, I look at your church, and you're not hot. So what does that mean? What, what does it mean to be hot, right? It's simple. It's just passionate. To be passionate for what they believe in. And so Jesus is looking at the, at the church going, well, you're not passionate about me. But you're also not cold. And sometimes we think, wait a minute, is that a bad thing? Isn't that a good thing that people aren't cold? But actually, I think what Jesus is saying is, I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be sure on how you stand about me, how you think about me. None of this middle ground. And Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because you are neither hot nor cold. Now, some translations will go even further to actually say that I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you are neither hot nor cold. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Let's pause. What's, what's actually happening? The church in Laodicea, like the city, was rich, independent, and lacked nothing. This led to the church becoming lukewarm, meaning that they were just indifferent to God. Meaning they just didn't really care. They just didn't care. They would come to church, but they wouldn't be raging hot. They wouldn't be passionate. They wouldn't be excited. But they, but they wouldn't not come. So they'd just come and do their duties. They'd just come, tick off the box, make sure the seat that they normally sit on was sat on. And they just, it wasn't a bit of this, and it wasn't a bit of that. And, and it's this, this attitude that Jesus is going to reject. And Jesus is going to say, either accept me wholeheartedly or reject me. But this whole idea that you're in the middle, I'm going to reject you. It's not enough. You know, the believers in that church, they, they thought they had everything. They thought they didn't need anything. Why? Because they were rich. They were rich. They thought they you know, had everything in their life that they needed. And yet what was, what was sad was Jesus is saying, hey, you might be financially rich. You might be rich in these areas, but actually spiritually, you're poor. 
Spiritually, you're actually empty. You think you have everything, but spiritually, you don't have anything. Jesus encourages them to come to him and not the things of the world so that they could have real riches, real clothes to cover their spiritual nakedness and medicine that could heal them out of spiritual blindness. This is a huge rebuke to the church who were ultimately careless and indifferent to their spiritual lives. Verse 19 to 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and disciple. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, this is really important. And actually, you know, I honestly tell you, every time I'm preaching, I'm learning the most. I'm being rebuked the most, right? I have read this passage so many times. And the beauty about the Bible is every time you read the Bible, God gives something more, something a little bit more, depending on where you are and what you're going through. And this is what stood out to me out of this whole passage, is that we see these words of rebuke, these very harsh words of rebuke, right? Hey, I don't like it that you're not hot and that you're not cold. I'm going to vomit you out. I'll vomit you out. They're harsh words. We see that these words of rebuke actually don't come from a place of anger and bitterness, but actually come out of love. Jesus rebukes and disciples the ones he loves. He genuinely wants them to repent, to not trust in the ways of the world, but in him and only him. And the picture of Jesus standing and knocking at the door waiting patiently for someone to hear his voice and to open the door. And once the door is open, that Jesus would go in and eat with that person. Why is it important that Jesus doesn't just go into the door, but eat with that person? It shows a level of personal intimacy. You know, there's a difference to when you and I say hello, hello to each other today, and there's a difference when we go out and we sit down, we share a meal together. Jesus does not want to just come and say hello to you. He doesn't just want to come into your life and just be a part of it. No, he wants to sit down and he wants to eat with you. He wants to become vulnerable with you. This is Jesus' desire for his church. And finally, we have the promise, verse 21 to 22. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the promise is that for the one who is victorious, and, and, and Jesus has been saying this throughout the, all the churches, the one who is faithful to the end, they will sit at the right hand of God. They will sit on the victory throne. Not because you and I are victorious, it's because Jesus is victorious and because we are faithful to him. This is an amazing promise. I wonder what the church in Laodicea would have thought about that promise. They have everything. Well, they think they have everything. They have money. They they have comfort. They have lifestyle. And yet Jesus is going to offer them something that they can never achieve by themselves, and that is the right hand of the throne. Now, there are two ideas that we need to see in this letter. 
that I want to address as we finish up. The number one is this, uh, Jesus' big invitation. The image of Jesus standing at the door, knocking and patiently waiting for someone to hear and respond is the exact image that Jesus is doing for every single person in this world. That verse is used uh, so much for the sake of evangelism. But that is the absolute truth. Whether, whether humanity know it or not, whether you know it or not, Jesus is waiting at the door of your life and he is knocking, he is knocking, he is knocking. But only, only when someone hears that knock, only when someone chooses to open that door, will then Jesus step through that door and go and not just into the house, but eat with that person. A few things that we need to understand is Jesus, Jesus does not force him upon you. He will not force himself upon you. Could he? Of course he could. He's God. But he patiently waits and he just knocks. And it's the individual's choice to whether they're going to hear it and whether they're going to open up that door to Jesus or not. And this is something, especially for, for anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with Jesus, this is what you need to understand. Jesus loves you so much that he is patiently waiting at the door and he will wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. He will not enforce himself on you. He will not demand from you anything. He will not come in until you open that door first. That's something that we need to understand, especially for those that here who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, please understand that Jesus is inviting you. But for those that do, please understand that Jesus is inviting everyone. That includes your friends. That includes your family. If Jesus is important to you, then what Jesus finds important, should, we should find important too. Right? Now, I'll give you an example of this. I care nothing for musical instruments. Right? I really don't. Right? My mom tried to, you know, she, she tried to teach me, you know, piano, trumpet, drums, I don't know, whatever. Right? And I'm like, okay, it's just not for me, okay? But I find myself, once in a while, sitting on my computer, Googling, how do I learn instrument better, right? And sometimes hours, you know, how do I practice, what's my, you know, blah, 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 blah. Why, why am I doing this? It's because my kids are learning instruments. Now, as I said, I have no connection to those instruments whatsoever, but my kids are learning those instruments, and I'm connected to my children. See, you might be like, I, I, I don't really know anyone or outside this world, outside my walls or outside my family. And you might be like, well, you know, I don't really have anything to do with them. But you know what? Jesus died on the cross and he's knocking at their door. And because Jesus is doing that and because Jesus is important to us, that should become important to us. Okay? It's not enough for us to be like, look, I've opened the door for Jesus. That's great. We've got to understand that this invitation is for everyone. And, you know, for people tonight, maybe tonight, 
you know, and, and sometimes we do this, sometimes we don't do this, but I think we should do this more, is tonight, if you, if you haven't invited Jesus into your life and you want to do that, I'm going to give you some time to do that later. Is that all right? Okay. So that's Jesus' big invitation. And that's really for all the non-believers in this place. But secondly, the big thing that, 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 that we need to hear is Jesus' big rebuke. Jesus' big rebuke. Laodicea was a big, rich, independent city that had made Jesus a side dish at best. They weren't passionate about Jesus simply because they just didn't need Jesus. Why? They didn't even need the empire of Rome to help them rebuild a city. Why would they need Jesus? What's interesting is out of all the cities that Jesus writes a letter to, I believe this is one of the cities that is the most closest to our church and to the Western church and the city that we live in in Chatswood or even Sydney. Do you know why the church is not popular in Western society? Or especially, even in Sydney, right? Right? They say actually the North Shore and the Eastern suburbs is one of the hardest places to do church. Do you know why? Because it's one of the richest Because rich people don't need anything else. Because they think that they have everything. You know, when, when, when migrants come from overseas, the migrant churches thrive. You know why? Because they're poor. They're poor. They need community. They need each other to help each other. Suddenly, you get a generation, a generation down. People don't need God because they don't need anything. Because they have everything. We live in an affluent city. You know, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And all these people in the rich cities are like, what's the question? What's the question, right? the question is, what don't you have in your life that you need? And rich people are like, I have everything. So what do I need Jesus for? We live in a city that doesn't experience poverty firsthand. We don't, we don't experience lack. We, we, we literally have this thing called first world problems, right? Which is a term which is coined for people who have, I guess, superficial, somewhat superficial problems that would only exist in first world countries, right? Like, oh my God, you know, you know the, the number one problem, right? The number one stress between the ages of 15 to 25. Do you know what it is? My phone is out of battery and I didn't bring my charger. I kid you not. That's the number one stress. If you came out with your, without your phone today, I promise you, some of you would legit go home because you didn't have your phone. You would feel naked and vulnerable. It's like you walked out without pants. You would rather have your phone than have pants on. That's, that's legit how some of you feel. That's how jacked up our, our society is, right? That's the society we live in. Are you hungry? You just go to a food bank. Are you, are you, are you lonely? You just go to the local pub and you meet people. Are you tired? You go and get a massage. Are you bored? You go watch movies. The biggest problem that the churches face in the Western world is that we are too rich. 
And we think that because we're financially rich, we have everything that we need. But the problem is, the problem is, we are so blind to realize that, yes, we might have the most finances ever, but spiritually, we are the poorest ever. We are the most empty spiritually. We, we fail to recognize how wretched, how pitiful, how poor, how blind, how naked we are. We have no idea. We have no idea about our spiritual deficit. And all we care about is what's in our bank account, who we network with on social media, and what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Our society has become indifferent to Jesus. We have become indifferent to Jesus. The problem is that, the problem isn't just the fact that our society doesn't care about Jesus. If we bring this home a little bit closer, we, even in our church, we have come to the point where we don't care about Jesus. Now, we're not going to dismiss Jesus, but we're not passionate. We can talk the talk, but when it comes to our own reality, it doesn't match up, right? Sunday and Monday. We all want to love Jesus more, but suddenly when it costs us something, suddenly when we have to become sacrificial, suddenly it's like, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we're all for Jesus' teachings until he teaches something that, that we don't agree with. We all want to follow Jesus, but when he asks us to actually do something, we quickly shrug our shoulders and reconsider. We talk about being disciples of Jesus, and yet our attitudes and actions reflect not discipleship, but pure duty and obligation. How do I know this? How do I know the difference? Because <clears throat> for the most of you that I know personally, and for those that don't, I don't, I, I look forward to getting to know you personally. I know what passion looks like. I've seen you passionate. I've seen you get excited. I've seen you, and I know what it means for you to be hot about something. I've seen you be so passionate about the things that you eat because I see them all over social media. Don't touch it yet. I haven't taken a photo. I've seen you more excited about the latest movie or the latest TV show coming out. And I wonder, you know, we're starting a new series next week. I wonder where the excitement there is. I've seen you excited about sport, about your team. And I wonder where that same excitement is when, when a new person comes into our community. I've seen you so passionate about your future travels or your travel plans or while you're traveling. And yet you turn up to church and it's like somebody just died. Can you see the difference? 
Man, I was writing this and I was getting fired up. I was half dead, but I was getting fired up. Some of you really need to hear this tonight. And, and, and just in the same way that Jesus was, was telling this to the church in Laodicea, not because he hated them, actually because he loved them. He loved them so much that he went to town on them. In the same way, I'm going to say the same thing to you. Some of you, because I love you, you need to get off the fence. You need to start making real decisions in, in your life about how you really think about Jesus. Jesus says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out. I will vomit you out. I promise you, some of you are in that place right now. And you're like, I went to church today. I went to life group. I go to prayer meeting once in a while. I'm okay. I've got money in the bank. And yet you are spiritually empty. You are the blind. You are the poor. Think about this, right? If I buy you a gift, if I buy you a phone, okay? Say I'm really rich, right? And I, and I go, man, I, I want to buy my friend a phone. I go, I go to the Apple store and I buy you a phone. And, I, you know, I've actually thought about this. I've actually gone, you know, I really feel, I, I saw that person's phone. It's got cracks everywhere. I go and give them that phone. And then they receive the phone. And they're like, oh, it's a new phone. Yeah, thanks. And then just get on with life. How would you feel? You'd be like, um, I just spent a thousand bucks on you, you know? You'd be pretty annoyed. Let's just start with that. Now imagine if I wasn't rich, right? And I actually said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell my phone. I'm going to sell my phone, Right? And then I'm going to go and buy a new phone. And so I sell things of myself, my own, and I, and, I, and I get some money and I go to the phone store and I get a new phone and I give you a new phone. Hey, here's a new phone. And then the response is, oh, thanks, you know, hey, new phone, hey, and, and just gets on with life. How would you feel then? It's not even, you know, you bought him a phone out because you were super rich you actually sacrifice something to to give it and then they give you that nonchalant like indifferent answer how would you feel you wouldn't be annoyed you'd be paid off one more <laughs> not saying that this would ever happen but what if for me to buy you that phone I actually gave up one of my kids. I have four, I understand. You know, like, it's not my one and only son, you know, one out of four, still 25%, right? I know it's a ridiculous situation, right? But say, okay, uh, not even that then. Say for me to buy that phone, I tell my children, hey, kids, we all can't eat this week because... Dad's going to go buy this phone for this person, right? And, and the kids are, okay. And then so I go and buy the phone. 
It's not even, you know, it's not even out of my own riches. It's not even because I sold something. It's because now my children are not eating before me to give you this phone. And I give you this phone. I give you this phone. And I'm like, hey, I really saw that you needed a new phone. And, you know, here you go. And, and, and the person that receives it is like, oh, great. Hey, a new phone. And just gets on with life. And my kids are starving. Can you see why Jesus is pissed? Can you see why Jesus would be so upset at this church in Laodicea? Jesus died on the cross. He died, right? Like I literally, I I felt like I was dying this week and I resurrected after two days, right? Like he died. And not only just, you know, he just died and he said, no, he died the most painful death. A death of execution only reserved for the worst of worst criminals. He dies on the cross. He separates with his father. And then he comes back to life. And that's all we're going to celebrate when we do communion tonight. And he does all of this. And he invites you in. And you go, oh, thanks. That's really nice. Thanks, Jesus. And then get on with your life. You think Jesus wouldn't be upset at that? I get upset at that even thinking about that. When you take for granted... And I think this is what happens. When you take for granted who Jesus is and what he has done for you, that's how you end up being indifferent. That's when you stop caring. When you forget what this actually cost. I love the fact that we're doing communion tonight. Communion, we we take some bread and we eat it. Man, we're not doing this because you're hungry. We're not doing this because it's some kind of ritual. We're doing it because it's to remind you of what the cost was for you to have what you have right now. The body that was broken. The body that was broken. And the blood that was shed. He died. (laughs) He died for you. And what we're giving back to him is flaky commitment at best. You want me to go through a list of examples of flaky commitment? Let's go. Church starts at 5.15. There you go. We'll just start with that. Not giving your tithe to God because you want to spend that money on some other new piece of clothing. Life groups, not committing to your brothers and sisters in life groups because you are busy, whatever busy is. When you take the church for granted, when you take Jesus for granted, what you are ultimately doing is you are looking at the face of Jesus and you are saying, thanks so much for doing everything for me and then just getting on with your life. How dare we do that? How dare we do that? You would not accept that. If anyone did that to you, you would not accept that. And yet we do that to him all the time. And you know what's interesting, right? I'm getting fired up about this, right? I'm getting fired up because I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, man, they're taking you for granted. You know, they're, they're not, I've seen them, passion. I've seen them, how excited they got because new Australia survivor came out. 
I have not seen that level of excitement in the church for months. I'm getting fired up. And you know what the, the, thing, about, but the thing about Jesus is? You know, and I don't think Jesus is not getting fired up. I think Jesus is getting fired up too. But Jesus, he really does it out of a place of love. This is what I realized. If I was Jesus, none of you would be here. I would be like, mm, I, saw, I saw what you did the other week. Skip church. Go hang out with your friends. I ain't going to die for you. See ya. Let's all be glad that I'm not Jesus, right? That I don't have the power to, to save and give you eternal life. Because I promise you, none of you would cut it. But Jesus is saying these words, not because he hates you. And see, I, I, think he, I think he's getting fired up. But I think he's getting fired up because he loves you that much. I had this one pastor. And... Um, he used to put me in my place. Let's just leave it like that. After church, as a, I remember as a student leader once, as a teacher once, and as a pastor, I would step out of line or I'd, I'd do something that I probably shouldn't have done and he'd take me outside, old, you know, old school Asian style, right? Just take his, you know, he'd be like, hey, let's go for a walk. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am going to die. And I walked out. And this guy would unload on me. How dare you do that? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And he was going to town on me. And I'll be crying, right? Because everything that he was saying was true. Everything that he was saying was true. I'd been disrespectful. I, you know, I'd, I'd crossed over lines that I shouldn't have crossed. And he was just going to town, going to town, going to town, right? And at the end, he'd put his hand on my shoulder and go, you know, it's because I love you, right? I'll be crying, right? Because I did know. Because I did know that the only reason why he would rebuke me is because he did love me. And I would go home and I would sit and I would ponder and I would decide to make changes in my life because someone who truly loved me wanted me to have a better life. That's what Jesus is doing for us tonight. He's getting fired up. If you're like, I don't know if Jesus is getting fired up at me. Or, and I'm like, look, you come and talk to me later. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll be his spokesperson for you. Because seriously, some of you, you need more than these words. You need a... But it's because he loves you. And he really does. You know, Jesus, he's that guy. Well, you turn your back on him, you deny him three times, you ignore him, but he died for you and he waits at the door knocking. That's who Jesus is. What a guy. What a God. Friends, if you are found in this lukewarmness, I want you to really consider this. If you are found in this lukewarmness, like, mm, I'll go to church today. Mm, I might read my Bible today. Mm, maybe I'll pray a little bit today. Oh, but I'm so excited about everything else in the world. If you are found in that place, as Jesus says, repent. Meaning, make a decision 
to turn around and go the other way and respond by opening the door to your heart again because Jesus is waiting there. Care because Jesus cares for you. Let's pray.